The following podcast contains spoilers, so you have been warned. Mwah! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Please Don't Make Me Watch. On this week's episode, we have epic bass riffs, house fires, desert cat and mouse, and mariachi Mumford and Sons. Yes, so this week it's a very special episode as it's an episode that ends in a three and it's sibling selections. So my sister Grace and my brother Will have both picked things for the two of us to watch. And we haven't seen any of them, so it's been quite a intense week for us. It's been a heavy week, so lots of watching. But have you had time to do anything else aside watching the four things we had to watch? I just have a think. (laughs) I definitely have, but you know, and just like my mind's gone now. I've got no idea. I've started running, I've just finished Couch to 5k. I feel very good about it. I'm going to keep it up. I had Sarah Millican narrating it, which was great fun. Yay. Because I feel like it was like, you're a normal person like me. You could do this. I just hate running. Oh, I did. But I've also, I like running because running is free. No, I like free things, but my boobs don't like it. No, my boobs do like it, so we're fine. <laughs> um, I did go see a play called Leopold Stats, which I think was amazing. Oh, I really Stats. want to see it. Um by Tom Stoppard, maybe mm. his last play ever, but we're not sure about that. Um, I love Tom Stoppard in general. It has problems, but it's, I loved it and I cried at the end. Great. Like, there are issues with it, but by the end I didn't care, so no, it was good. It's I do about, want to see um, it. Jews in Vienna between like the 1800s and 1955, obviously a time of great change. Fun. Um, yeah, it's very moving and I have um, I'm not Jewish or anything, but I have Jewish ancestry, which my dad goes on about a lot. And um, some of my relatives are Hungarian Jewish, and some of my relatives were German Jewish, mm. and they both fled. So it felt like quite pertinent in yeah. that regard. But also, I think I just got very like yeah. it's very moving at the end. I think that actually that's really interesting to mention that because I just remembered something that I've seen, and I two things actually. Um, so I watched David Bedil's documentary on Holocaust denial which is really fascinating. Yeah. And the film Denial, which is about the trial between Deborah Lipstadt and the um, historian slash mega racist oh, yeah, David that. Irving, which is I think is a really, really good film. My friend's granddad, that he's a character in that film. Oh, nice. How crazy, yeah. No, and I mean, like, I, my mum's side of the family is Jewish, um, from Latvia, and so kind of it does have quite a personal bent for me. And also I think that kind of, I just find Holocaust denial fascinating as like a concept being like, how can you deny something that's one of the most well-documented events in history? Crimes in history. Yeah. Why would, also, why would you want to? I know. And like I think that's I, when you have to question it. Mm, like, what, what is your... Motivation. Motivation. And the David, for... the David Baddiel documentary really delves into that. Mm. And I think it delves into it in a really interesting way. And now I really want to read Deborah Lipstadt's book on it. Yeah, that would be interesting, um, actually. And just kind of explore it a little bit more because... I mean, if you haven't seen the Bedil documentary, it's on iPlayer. He's he's exactly the right person to do it because he is, obviously, he's a comedian. Yeah. He's quite funny, but knows kind of when, like, someone is not worth taking seriously. Yeah. Like, one of them has a guitar at one point. Oh, okay. And there is there are songs, and you can tell that he is over this at this point, and it... <laughs> 
it's it's really really quite excellent that documentary oh, cool, would recommend mm. but should we get the show started yeah let's go for it um so first up is um one of my my brother's picks Woo. and um, so i've got two younger brothers but i asked the middle one of them because he used to have a radio show about film when he was at uni so obviously he knows quite a lot about it very keen to, um comedy specific watcher but keen about cinema in general mm. anyway he picked um seinfeld so quote i'm going to quote him first he said seinfeld is one of the funniest shows ever made but i forgot to tell sam this but he said start season two to three ish as no plot and it's when they get in full swing so i watched the first ever episode and i then i also watched one of the ones he recommended which mm. was called the marine biologist which is much later um i have only seen episode one yeah which i don't think is the greatest example of this but that's my bad um, it's an American sitcom TV series created by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld for NBC. Seinfeld was already a comedian and he was presented with the opportunity to create a show and then he approached Larry David to help create a premise for the show so it's him as a fictionalised version of himself and it's his personal life including his best friend um, and his neighbour and various people in New York City. And it's often described as being a show about nothing as many of its episodes are about the minutiae of daily life. A forerunner of friends if you will. Mm in many ways. It is quite proto-Friends, I think. Yes. In that regard. And also, like, even just from the first episode alone, I can see why it's a classic. Yeah. Like, I've seen so many parodies of Jerry Seinfeld's particular brand of stand-up comedy, and like, a Seinfeld-esque plot, that I kind of know the beats of the show already. We should say it's been ranked among the best TV shows of all time. In mm. Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, and TV Guide, um, the Writers Guild of America in 2013 voted it the second best written TV series of all time, second to The Sopranos. Wow! And E named the series the number one reason the 90s ruled. Fun. Yeah. Um, I will say I do think it's dated incredibly poorly, but I don't think that's a fault of it. I think that. What do you mean? I I think that comedy is the fastest art form to age. Yeah. And it's the fast, and it's also the art form that's going to age the worst. And it it does feel very nineties, I think, in that sense. And I think in the aesthetic that we're used to with comedy now, yeah. if you look at things like Parks and Recreation, The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Unbreakable yeah. Kimmy Schmidt, Thirty Rock, these are all narrative. Yeah. Sein the big thing about Seinfeld, and I think to a lesser extent something like Friends, or possibly even something like How I Met Your Mother, is that they are very episodic. Like, right, okay. the episode is contained with the drama within the episode, and that's it. Yeah. I think Friends is slightly more narrative than Seinfeld, and How I Met Your Mother, again, slightly more narrative than Friends, but still they are much more episodic than, for example, The Good Place. Yeah. And I think that now in 2020, we are much more used to comedy series having this narrative. Or if they are episodic, there's something like Inside Number Nine, where they are, literally there is nothing linking them. Yeah. And I do think that that, in a way, it says, is a downside. Seinfeld broke several conventions of mainstream television in that it refused to follow the predictable sitcom formula that would have showed a relationship between the woman mm. and Jerry. I see the woman because we haven't seen her in the first episode, but she's called Elaine. It's, um, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character, yeah. who I was watching the first episode being like, where the fuck is Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Yeah. And it says the show offers no growth or reconciliation to its characters, it eschews sentimentality. An episode is typically driven by humour interspersed with the superficial conflicts of characters with peculiar dispositions. Yeah. 
So there's like nothing about like the character. The notion was that the characters should not develop or improve throughout the series at all. Yeah. No hugging, no learning is how they put it. And you're never supposed to feel sorry for any of the characters. No, it, it does feel in a way like it is famously the show about nothing. Yeah. And it does in that kind of sense where kind of like the characters don't learn, they don't grow. It's quite ab-fabby in that regard. Is it because I, I don't feel like he, um, Eddie and Patsy grow at all throughout the entirety of Abfab? Yeah. They are still awful people by the end of Abfab. Yeah, but you can feel sorry for them. Yeah. And there's like reconciliation within a like within an episode, mm. her and like her daughter might reconcile or something. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's like literally nothing to do with that. It's like no. nothing to do with the relationship. I think that's why it's different to Friends. It does, it does, it feels much more ephemeral than Friends. Yeah. I think Friends kind of is about. The group of friends. Seinfeld is about Jerry Seinfeld. Um, like I would, I would say because obviously it cuts back to his stand-up all the time, or at least again, again this one episode that so I have in seen. Later episode. And I, and I, I mean, I think that like, it's the stand-up is still quite funny. Yeah. But also, it's I think because again, I've seen it parodied so much, it's quite obvious. Yeah, I found the reason I'm like on the. Line is because I remember finding the first episode like a little bit disappointing because mm. Willow described it as the funniest show ever. But then the second, the like episode that I watched of a much later series with Julia with Louise Dreisfurst and like mm. all of that kind of stuff was again not, it's still, I don't think, my kind of. Humor, I agree, it's really but not it's my thing. It's also much funnier than the first episode. Mm. So I feel. I also just feel weird being like, I didn't find it that funny when everyone's like, it's the funniest show of all time, it's so well written. But I think I think it's 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 always gonna have an uphill battle for like our generation is because yeah. our generation wasn't necessarily brought up on like Seinfeld. We were much more brought up on Friends. And I think yeah. especially in the UK. Yeah. Like you hear all the time about like Seinfeld reruns in the US, but in the UK it's Friends. Friends yeah. was the thing that was rerun and rerun and rerun and rerun, eventually overtaken by How I Mother and then eventually overtaken by The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Like you think of the Channel 4 comedy that if you turn on E4, it's probably going to be on on either E4 or E4 yeah. plus one. And Seinfeld wasn't that. Yeah, but that shouldn't mean like no. anything, really. Should it? I don't know. Why is that? I, just, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I watched it and I was left a little bit cold. I was like, I can see why someone would love this in I 1990. I can't, that's what frustrates me. With this thing in 1990. No, what? but now, Will loves it. And he's younger than me and he grew up in exactly the same environment yeah. as us. Like, what confuses me is why. Mm. Because I think it's good, but I don't think it's like... I. Why has it won, like, the second best written show? Maybe we haven't watched enough. Maybe. But I, I also, from watching that, I'm not inspired to watch more. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't want to. And I do feel like I'm missing something, but also I don't particularly want to find out what I'm missing. I maybe do. I feel like I'm missing something important. Are you Are you going to watch it? I might watch a couple. They're so easy to watch. Oh yeah, because they're, they're like, like 20 minutes long. They're probably good to put on while you're like cooking or something. Yeah, and the jokes aren't like, like you can watch them in any order. You could just watch the best episodes of them. Yeah, be... kind of similar to something like South Park. I've never seen South Park. I mean, I haven't seen all of South Park, but I've seen, like, choice selections. I mean, I know what it's like, and I know there's like, oh my god, we killed Kenny, or something like that. But yeah. I haven't seen it. It's not really my... No. I don't know. It's not what I'm going to make seen, you watch. It's not, like, my... It's not your cup of tea at all. No. I don't know. I always go... The people who like South Park were always quite annoying at school. Yeah. I seem to remember. 
But they thought like stuff that wasn't really funny was funny. Mm. I was like, mm, this pressure is probably enough for me. But then again, teenagers. Yeah, true. But no, I do, I do think with Seinfeld, I feel like I'm missing something. I but I also just don't care enough to find it. Ever since I watched it, it's been bugging me, because it, I just it just didn't vibe with it. Yeah, I just found the jokes, but maybe it's because we've watched loads of comedy mm, and, and we've like, watched so many parodies, parodies of it already. But yeah. for me, they were not parodies. So. I don't know. I don't know. I think we should move on yeah. to Grace's choice for TV. Yeah. Grace has gone the other way and she's picked something very recent. I think Grace has got a much more similar taste in TV and film to you than she does to me. I think um, she's very much will watch anything and doesn't really care. But she'll also just say, that was great, or really enjoyed that, even like that'll be her reaction stuff. Yeah. And so it was interesting when I asked her, like, could you potentially give this a score if you had to give it a score? And so that kind of made her think a little bit. But this is a very recent bit of TV, and she asked us to watch Deadwater Fell. So, Deadwater Fell is a British crime drama created by Daisy Coulomb, starring David Tennant as a doctor whose wife and three children are killed in a fire. And it was premiered in January 2020, so very recently on Channel 4. Obviously, we've done a lot of crime dramas on this podcast yeah. now, um, and I think that this one surprised me, I've got to say. I was pleasantly surprised by this. I, but bear in mind, do not think it's as good as something like Broadchurch or The Bridge or Line of Duty. But I was very pleasantly surprised by how not terrible it was. Um, I thought it was, yeah, I kind of basically agree. I, I thought it was good. Mm. I got more frustrated with it because I finished the series. Oh, I didn't finish. I've only seen episode one. Oh, I thought I just might as well. There's only four episodes. So yeah, easy. I don't care if you tell me what happens. Um, okay, well, I won't. But equally, I felt that the first episode set something up that could have been very interesting. I was very in intrigued by like, the end of episode one. Yeah, in terms of like, you're not really sure who's done it. and and But it seems to be more about mm. the community rather than... Like in a broadcast In a broadcast way, way, there's like the, the whole community's the community, on trial. It's not about the... Um, it's not about who actually did it, maybe. Mm. Even though you are curious about what exactly happened. But I felt like as the series went on, it became less and less subtle and more and more about, like, someone who's evil. And I always think it's more interesting to find out why people commit crimes. Yeah, who I agree. Who aren't evil. Like, why would you do such a... But it's such mm. a drastic crime. They I had know. to make someone who was evil or mad. Yeah. Because three kids get killed, like, deliberately. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's quite clearly set up from episode one that this is, this is a deliberate thing. Yeah, it's, it's not like, definitely like... a deliberate crime. Otherwise, what would be the point thing? I know. Um, but I felt like its focus narrowed and in doing so became silly. And I also found, even in um, part one, frustrating the amount of, like, shit that these people have gone through. Yeah. And I just thought, again, the reason crime is interesting is when... It comes out of nowhere, and mm. but there are clues. But in this one, it's like there's a car crash and someone's drinking too much, quite overtly, yeah. and someone's had an affair. Bits and of all of these are done in interesting ways later on. Like they come back to play and they're interesting. But equally, I was just like, or they're like not. They have. Mm. There doesn't have to be this dark a secret at the heart of everyone. No. Like, people commit crime for money, and they commit crime for passion and stuff, but they don't have to be, like, the most serious things in the world. Yeah. And I, I think that, like, another thing is that it's, like, a minor thing, and I will talk about it more with 
films later, is that I found the music in this super irritating. It's really like classic crime drama, plinky plinky nonsense. It's really annoying and it does take out of the atmosphere in quite a lot of scenes. I didn't notice that, I'm afraid. I, I, found, I found the style in the first episode very weird. There's a lot of cut into cuts between party mortuary, party mortuary, and you're like, is this a flash forward? Is this a flashback? Like, what's going on? It was on? confusing. I was like, I don't understand when this is taking place, but mm. I quite liked that. I liked way. it, and it did keep me intrigued. It's I... also, it does feel so mm. perfect at the beginning, and I thought that was what was interesting, is that mm. then there was just like, you know that terrible things are going to happen, I didn't know who was going to get killed. Yeah. So that was, that intrigued me. And I only assumed it I... wasn't going to be David Tennant because of all the advertising for it. Uh, I wasn't sure. Because it was flashbacks mm. and stuff. And like from even a... playing with flashbacks, then anyone can be yeah trailed a lot because they're still kind of in it, even mm. if they're dead, which is proven in this series. But I think I think that it's well acted though. It's very it's very well acted. I think actually the script is generally actor. pretty good. But I did watching it think like if this turns into another oh the husband did it, I was like you had so much potential not to do the husband did it. I want to ruin it. I don't. I'm not going to watch it. I don't care. Okay, well, don't listen if you are going to watch Spoilers. it. Spoilers! Uh, yeah, the husband did it, and it turns out he's a psychopath and a domestic abuser. Oh, fun. Great. Cool. That's why I find it really irritating. Yeah, that that for me has detracted like, oh, from, really? from episode... Because episode one, the good thing that episode one sets up is that, in theory, with the exception of the policeman and his girlfriend... Wife. I think... I thought girlfriend. I thought they were married, but not... I don't know. His partner. Yeah. It essentially puts makes everyone a suspect, with yeah. the exception of those two. Yeah. And I think that I was like, there are so many directions you could go in, and there's a really interesting scene at the end of episode one where they're all sitting around um, a dinner table and like talking, and then they're all they all have different theories about who did it, about what, why it happened. I was like, this is this is could go in a really interesting direction. Now I know that, and I'm like. Ugh. Well, exactly, but the the really annoying thing is that they played on... The, David Tennant plays it so well, and that mm. you're, he's always someone who is so nice, and yet you... you He's not, like, an... He's not camping it up. Like, he's not being no. someone who you automatically suspect. There is just some... You don't want yeah. to suspect him, but the facts maybe point that way, but you don't want to suspect him ever. Yeah. And I think that's why it's clever, but then as it goes on... It's not just that he does this mad and a terrible, terrible, terrible thing, but it's like he does it because he's essentially like a psychopath, mm. and like, and he wants to he he needs all his like all the women in his life to be like obsessed with him, and like he's had affairs with his wife's friends, and like deliberately to piss her off, and he says that to her. Yeah, he's like you don't fuck like Anna does or whatever her best friend. And it's just like, <sighs> why are we going so unsubtle? And it's and and that that. Oh. And now I feel like it's a message about how domestic abuse is really clear and, like, we just don't see it in time. And that, I feel, is I just, wrong. I feel like we've done that before and this isn't what this show should be about. It should no. be about, like, a community when you don't know who's done it and there's one survivor. Do you blame the survivor or do you blame the, like, people? Mm. You know, like, it's about people's reactions, which it was to an extent. Mm. It was, was definitely an episode so one. bits of it were really good. But by the end, it just became this horrible, horrible portrait of a, a villain. Yeah. I kind of wanted it to be more than that. And portrait of a villain can be very interesting. Like, I think that... Oh, this is going to sound like a weird comparison, but in Schindler's List, the portrait of the villain is one of the most interesting aspects of Schindler's List. Yeah, portraits of a villain are interesting if that's the purpose, but it doesn't mm. feel like this was the purpose. It felt like it was going to be about community, and then it became about... Yeah. I felt like it was in Silent Witness all of a sudden. Yeah, and, and I... It's such a different show that it shouldn't have been... There shouldn't have been mm. a sober. 
Like, I, at the end of this one, very intrigued to see where it went. Now that I know where it goes, I'm like, oh god, not that again. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit sick of those storylines. Yeah. Because for me, it feels like the obvious thing to go for. I mean, the woman was done really well. She yeah. Was complex and interesting and stuff. I can't remember her name, which is awful, but I think she's played by Anna Maidley. Yes. Um, who and Anna Maidley plays it very well, and there's lots of subtleties that she mm. brings to it, and like it's a well-written part. Definitely. Her part, and she comes back in a lot of flashbacks, so she's not gone. No. But um, I was really let down by the ending. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, well. I think it's film time. Film time. Um, film another time, dark film one. Time. It's so the film time. Will's recommended us what he describes as No Country for Old Men is peak dark Coen Brothers, but it's beautiful and so good. So, No Country for Old Men, as he said, it's um, written and directed by the Coen Brothers, Joel and Ethan Coen. Um, it's to, from 2007, it's an American neo-western crime thriller film. Mm -hmm. And it's based on Cormac McCarthy's 2005 novel of the same name. It's essentially a cat and mouse thriller and it stars Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem and Josh Brolin. And it follows a Texas welder and Vietnam War veteran. That's so not how I describe it, but it follows two people, three yeah. people, in the desert landscape of 1980 West Texas. I watched this on the same day as I watched Parasite. <laughs> this is not a good double bill. And so... Again, I feel like I'm going to give this a high school because I know it's like theoretically really good, but I just completely switched off because I was just overwhelmed by darkness. Mm. I think the atmosphere in this is like the best thing. Is that the, and I, I think the, the atmosphere that is created both by the direction and by the script yeah. is so good. As well as, I think there is no denying that Javier Bardem is so, so fucking good in this film. Yeah, he's amazing. His facial expressions are psychotic in a non in an interesting way. Yeah. And they're like, ah, I'm a psychopath. It's, it's very, it, it's almost kind of alluring him on screen is you are just drawn to him. Like the sequence in the gas station. I like that bit. I really like the gas, like the gas station bit because it made me prick up my ears and pay attention. I was there like, oh God. <laughs> um, yeah. But also the best bit of acting from him was at the very beginning. Mm. I had to watch this several times because my streaming server kept buffering. No. So I had to keep going back and watching it, which was horrible, but the bit where he throttles the sheriff. Yeah. His face in that, I think, is the best bit of the film. I think I think it's it's like it knows how to do suspense and also how to use the landscape because it kind of just shows how fucking empty bits of America are. Yeah. Which I think living in the UK, you don't fully appreciate just yeah. how big America is, and especially that bit of America where there is nothing. Yeah. And I think that the performances are really good and. I don't get how a man with the, that bowl cut can be as terrifying as he is. Yeah. It's like, why, you have a pudding bowl haircut, yet, yeah, oh my god, I am so scared of you right now. Yeah, he's terrifying. Also, it's terrifying because he, there's no end. <laughs> mm. and it, there's not really a clear ending to this film, and I feel. And that, for me, is a weakness of the film, is I feel like there are multiple endings, and the first two are very satisfying. The third ruins it. Did so you say which one? I'm, I'm, the sheriff end. The sheriff end, I think, is unnecessary. That would have been a really nice like bonus scene, put it at the end of the credits. Don't don't have it have the ending as Anton Chigurh with the children. Like yeah. have that as the ending. And with him walking off. But I it starts with the narration, so you have to go back to the narration I know. and frame narrative. But I, I, I think I would have cut the narration. Really? Because people have said that's their best bit of the film. 
I was reading some reviews. Really? I, I, bit of it. I think, I think, well, I think I did really like the narration at the opening, but I would have cut the narration knowing the ending. I would have just had the shots and then, like, the shots of the landscape. Yeah. And they all just kind of truncate that a little bit and then not have the sheriff ending because I feel, I feel that the sheriff ending was trying to say something deep and philosophical about the meaning of death and all that oh, sort of no, stuff. Oh no, I disagree. I thought the whole point was that he was trying to find something deep and philosophical when there was no meaning. Mm. I think that, like, the film is like people finding meaning where there is none. Like, the fact that he lets some people go and he doesn't let other people yeah. go and he's working for his own principles but they don't make any sense. Like, he doesn't ask everyone to flip a coin, he just ask some people. Yeah. Like, Literally the scene between Javier Bardem and Kelly MacDonald, I think, is was I my favourite scene in the film. I um, think. Yeah. Where she's like, no, it's not nothing to do with chance, it's to do with you. Yeah. Does he kill her? He does, right? Well, it, it, well it's never it's shown. It's implied. But it's heavily implied that he kills okay, her. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I felt like the sheriff was pointful because it was him trying to find meaning in something like mm. a dream that doesn't really have a meaning. Yeah. And that's like the the whole thing. Just people, like you think everything's going to be pointful, and then it's all futile, yeah. isn't it? Like he fight, he escapes for ages. This guy, Josh Brolin's character, Josh Brolin's character, who is called Llewellyn, but as a Welsh person, really irritated me that this is the second Coen Brothers film where they do not know how to pronounce that name correctly. Anyway, regardless, Josh Brolin's character, like he's, you think it's going to be the whole plot of the story, is like. Mm. Him, him getting away. Path and then he just dies. Sorry to ruin it, but like... But that's the thing is, I feel like his death has is such a shock. Because it's he, so random as well. And that's the thing is that it is so random and I think it is that like they're, like, they're constantly looking for meaning and actually kind of the deaths are so random. It's like, no, there is no meaning. Yeah. There is only death. This film is a lot. I, I, I don't think you should have watched it after watching Parasite. I had to because I bought Parasite yesterday and then we were recording today, so... Yeah. And I hadn't watched No Country for Wildman yet. But, and I think, I think that this, this film is... In a way, it's very quiet, but it's also a sensory overload. I quite like to rewatch it mm. with my brother and with my family or something. Yeah. But I know it's never the kind of film that I'm going to be like, yay, let's watch No Country for Old Men. Mm. It's just not the kind of film I would have picked to watch because I don't like watching. You're not a Westerns fan. No, I don't find that interesting. I don't find fighting that interesting. Mm. I don't find fighting that interesting. I want humour, basically, out of most of the movies that I watch. Yeah. So then this was like zero humour. Yeah, it's not exactly the most fun film in the world. It's not about being fun. It's like, I like the contrast between comedy and, and tragedy. Yeah. And that's something I find interesting, like in Jojo Rabbit. Mm. Whereas this one is obviously beautifully, beautifully shot and like really well directed and all of that. I have no critique of it. Yeah. I just personally find them... A bit relentless. Yeah, and just like not... Mm. And I don't like watching stuff about the pointlessness of life. Yeah. I also think that, like, the casting across the board in this is exceptional. Yeah. Like, I think Woody Harrelson... I love Woody Harrelson. I was so happy to see him. Like, that. I was just like, he's in this. What's he doing in this? Also, <sighs> it makes complete sense that he's in this. Yeah, of course it does. I don't really understand how the psychopath gets away with all these murders, though. No. I guess because America's really big and you can just run away. I think, I think that's that's the whole thing, is that's why kind of they give you the scale of, like, the American West and just how empty it is. Yeah. And if you know what you're doing, how much you can, like, get by. Yeah. But it's 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 not an easy watch. I I think when someone was like, oh, this is like the Coen Brothers film that everyone should see first. No. No. I saw Fargo before this one. I think definitely see Fargo first. I preferred Fargo, but... I also preferred Fargo as well. But it's more easy to prefer. Mm. But I, I think I think that that's the one I would say that people should watch first. 
and then maybe delve into this one. I do think this is one that people should watch, though. Yeah, I think you should watch it. Yeah. Like, it's so... you got to be in the right frame of mind, don't you? Mm -hmm. But now on to something really fucking different. Yes. Um, Grace described this film as uh, fun and fast-paced, loads of twists and turns, great soundtrack with lovely animation, and way better than I thought it was ever going to be. The film she's talking about is The Book of Life. Life is a 2014 uh, American animated film uh, produced by Aaron Berger, Brad Booker, Guillermo del Toro and Karina Schulze and it was directed by Georges A. Gutierrez um, with voice, voice cast including Diego Luna, Zoe Saldana and Channing Tatum. Um, it follows the um, myth of the day of the, uh, like the kind of ideas around the day of the dead and a bullfighter who embarks the and the afterlife to try and um, rescue his family as well as um, the woman that he loves and it's also kind of this sort of cosmic battle between the the ruler of the land of the um, of the land of the remembered and the ruler of the land of the forgotten kind of this sort of cosmic battle pitting humans against each other. Um, I watched this and was so surprised by how good it was. Like, I I completely get what Grace is saying. This film should not be this good. And I think that I went into this having seen Coco and people comparing this to Coco all the time. I've never seen Coco. I think that's unfair. This is a much grander story than Coco. Coco is much more insular. Were it, the only reason they get compared is because they both take place around Day of the Dead, yeah. in the land of the dead, Blah, 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 blah. That's the only similarity between them. Story-wise, they are totally different Oh, they, they sound really similar to me. Like, Coco's very much like a family story, whereas yeah. this is kind of this sort of cosmic battle in a way. Yeah, which... see, I disagree with that summary because I was surprised by the film because it wasn't really, like, that stressful. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I don't think but, it's but like... But when you say cosmic battle, it implies that, like, oh, my God, like... If the guy who is the land mm. of the forgotten takes over the land of remembered, everything yeah. will be terrible. But it actually doesn't imply that at all. No, but it's, um, maybe battle, maybe game. It is. It is very playful. This film, and I do like that. So they use like a museum as a framing device. Yeah, that works. And that works. Although I was like, you have no idea what kids are like. Uh, no, I was like, there's two other. Oh, they basically get like detention kids to come and go to the museum. And go to the museum, and they're like detention kids. So they're gonna be really difficult, but all of a sudden, because she's like fit basically, mm. and she leads them in a back way through the museum, all of them are immediately on her side. I was like, this is absolute bollocks. Yeah. There'd be one kid that was like, this is so boring. But she basically <laughs> is telling the story using these like wooden dolls. Yeah. And then the animation when she's within the story, all the characters, with the exception of um, Sibalba and La Muerta, who are the leads of the two realms, are like these wooden dolls. Yeah. And it's... I think the animation in this is gorgeous. Yeah, the animation is beautiful. I have one issue with it, which is that all of the women are, like, hot and super thin. Mm. Like, I'm so thin. Mm. But curvy. Yeah. I can't name a single woman who isn't. The nuns are. The grandma. The nuns are, like, covered up from head to toe. They don't count. But like, the nuns are very funny, though. No, I love the nuns. Yeah. I'm not saying the nuns aren't no. good, like, as in, but that, that's, like, beside the point. Yeah. The point is that, like, every woman who's taken seriously as an individual mm, is no, somehow, definitely. like, stunningly beautiful. That pissed me off a lot. Mm. But I think that's, that, for me, like, the film itself is very funny. I think 
like the story I was compelled with the story from start to finish like I found it very interesting and kind of in sort of it does talk about kind of family and where you come from and what's expected of you and whether like kind of individuality is valued within sort of a kind of dynasty in a way yeah I'm going to talk about the music because I think the music is fucking excellent in this film like it's a it's a really interesting mix of like new school and the new school is great Everything about the new score is wonderful. And then they essentially take pop songs and popular songs and turn them into mariachi versions. Which is great. And I didn't know that I needed a mariachi version of I Will Wait by Mumford and Sons. Yeah, that was good. And I was just thinking, oh, what I like. I was interested to know what song they were going to do next. And they did Creep by Radiohead. And I, I was just there like, on board with this film, on board with this film. Well done. Well done. And I just, I don't, I kind of can't fathom how it's as good as it is. I think the, the script is great. I think the voice cast is nigh on perfect. I thought it was really brave to pick Channing Tatum as not the hero. Yes, I think that was that, that was a good choice. worked really well in its favour. <laughs> yeah. And having Diego Luna as the hero instead. Yeah. Um, I think having Ice Cube as the cloud man, was the candle funny? maker, was, yeah. again, inspired casting. Yeah, and that they chose some... Um... Mexican actors, I assume, yeah. like Latin American actors. And it, and it did very much feel like it was a Latin American film made by Latin American people. Yeah, to an extent. To an extent, but it was still like a Hollywood film, obviously, because it obviously it cast Channing Tatum in one of the roles. Yeah, and Zoe Saldana. Well, she's Dominican. Um, okay. So it, it, did, it did feel like, in a way, it felt like a passion project for some of these people. And I think that definitely shines through. Yeah. The fact that you could put this on and then just enjoy it, and there's no flab in this film. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, mm. I particularly liked De Placido Domingo. Yeah. Who plays like an opera singing Marriott. guy. Yeah, like uh, Matador. Him and the nuns were maybe my favourite characters in the film. See, Plus I. Yours. <laughs> That, that I think the nuns were like the consistent comedic goals in this film. Yeah, they were never not funny. No. And I, th and I think that, I don't, I just, there's just so many things. And also like, got to the end. I got emotional at this film. I didn't cry because I don't cry at films. But I was like, I could have... Were you? Yeah, I, I was, was, it's, it was, it was the bit where he's kind of, it's so essentially towards the end, um, a challenge is raised to Diego Luna's character that if he can defeat every bull that his family have ever defeated in the arena, then he will be able to go back to the realm of the living. Because he's dead. Yes. Fun fact, because he got tricked. Yeah. Um, but then what happened is, is that he doesn't, he defeats it in his own way. And I was like... I thought that was a like, like I love very that convenient plot twist. Oh, very convenient plot twist, but also I. I feel I, like there was a lot of stuff that was built. Like this film was made up of pretending that something was a massive deal and then it was not a big deal. I at know. All. Like none of it stressed me out at all, which is very pleasant. Yeah. Like, but I was never worried about what was going to happen to any character. Oh, no. It was obviously going to all turn out to be okay. Exactly. But also every single threat, like Hades in. Um, Sorry, not Do Hades. Um, Doctor Nefario in *The Princess and the Frog*. You seen it? Yeah, oh, Do um, Doctor Facilio. Facilio. Doctor Nefario. Um, he's um, in *Desperate Before Me*. Doctor Nefario. Ah. Yeah. Um, Doctor Facilio is much scarier. 
Yes, I would agree. But in, also... And still, like, it's, like, about... I know he's, like, about voodoo and the other side mm. and stuff, but, like, like I was saying, there is no... Like, La Muerte has problems. Because she shouldn't be making bets with people's lives. Yeah. And then her partner, husband... Shivalva. Shivalva is, um... It doesn't feel like he's going to do bad things with the land no, that, that remembered. And that's kind of what I like. So it is... feels really confusing because mm. you're like, well, we're making this... We're really stressed out about who's going to get the girl. But actually, it doesn't really matter. Mm, but I actually kind of liked that. I liked that neither... There wasn't really an antagonist apart... F- like, the antagonist was... The antagonism was between... El bandito. Yeah, there was Chacal, who I just, I love the character designs of all the bandits. I yeah. think that's re- that's one of the strongest points. And I like the final sequence towards the end, with the, the battle sequence, basically. I think it's done really well. It knows when to be comedic and when to be serious. Yeah. I just, I just, I really loved this film. I like, I, it, you know when you watch a film and it just kind of blindsides you with being like, wait, what? How no, it can't wait. It can't be this good. Is it? Is it really? It, it's really that wait. No, it 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 was kind of one of those moments. I finished watching it. I was just, like, I was in in my flat by myself, and I was like, "What have I just watched? And why do I immediately want to watch it again?" <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I had a really nice time watching it. Yeah, it was good. I now I now want to rewatch Coco to see. I would like to watch Coco oh. to oh. see like if the comparisons are unfair or if I'm just remembering it wrong. Yeah, fair. Anyway, I think let's continue to scores. Um, and I think that, um, so Grace has given me what she would have given each of these respective things and I don't know if Will oh, has done the no, same. No, my brother hasn't, but I'm sure he would give them both 10 to be perfectly honest. He only picked them because they're like his favourite things. That's interesting. Grace did not give both of these 10. So let's start with Seinfeld. So Seinfeld... Will would give it nine or ten, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I feel like I'm letting my family down. He'll be so angry with me. I think you've got to be honest. If I'm basing it on the first episode alone, then I give it a five. Mm, I agree, and I've also given it five. I feel bad. I, I, I do just feel like I'm missing something. And, I, and that is bad. But I also think that, like, I'm, I'm not sad about that. I do think that, like, it just doesn't quite, quite live up to what I want it to be. Yeah. Deadwater Fell? Deadwater Fell. Grace gave it a seven. She said, it gripped me and I always wanted to know what would happen next. I feel the reveal, um, the end reveal lacked punch. Um, she didn't necessarily get it, but I kept, wasn't trying to, as they kept flip-flopping between suspects, essentially. Um, yeah. I agree with her, and I've also given it seven. Yeah, I gave it seven as well. Because I think it is, at least, I think episode one, I originally gave it a higher score, but since finding out the ending, I, I have lowered it. I gave it originally seven and a half, so I've just notched it down a little bit. Mm. No Country for Old Men. Um, I gave it an eight. Oh, interesting. I uh, can see that it's like a quality film. Will, Will would definitely give it a ten. Um, I gave it a nine because I do think it's very quality. I just, for me, would have lost the final ending and that does drag it down. And then Book of Life, Grace gave it a nine. She says it is way too good for its own good and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Um, And I also gave it a nine. (laughs) I loved it. This is so your kind of, as soon as I was watching it, I was like, I so know what the Butler family are like. (laughs) Um, 
I gave this a eight, an eight. Interesting. I found the depiction of women irritating. Mm-hmm. And I think it perpetuates a problem that we already have. And sometimes I found the songs when everyone was like, oh my God, he's the most beautiful player in the world. And I was like, don't find this beautiful. So mm. I felt like that ruined it a little bit. And I found it just some of the plot twists slightly too convenient for its own good. Yep. Like they didn't even make sense to me very much. Fair. Like the whole bull thing. Uh, that's not what he's really afraid of. That wasn't really that the didn't point. Bother me. Like that's uh, yeah, I that mystified me a little bit, so that's why I knocked some marks off. Fair enough. Um I don't think any of that is particularly troubling the leaderboard. They're still quite high scores. They're though. still quite high scores. I mean, I think um your brother might be slightly annoyed about Seinfeld's placement. Um, because Seinfeld is definitely towards the latter half of the list. It's only just avoiding the bottom three for TV. Like, I mean, I can't fix that. No, I can't fix that, unfortunately, either. I just, I just didn't enjoy it very much. And, I mean, both of the films this week are play, have placed pretty high. Yeah. Um, But still, like, not within the top five for film and TV. But next week, as we sadly leave sibling selections to normal service, what have you got for me? Um, so I've got a cookery show for you. <laughs> okay, thing. I'm interested. Um, it's called Zumbo's Just Desserts, and it's by Adrian Zumbo, who's an Australian chef. You might have seen him on some other things. He's, like, on various programmes. Anyway, he is famous for, like, being the Willy Wonka of desserts, and this is a dessert baking show. Fun! Quite advanced desserts, though. It's not like Bake Off. Okay. But it is, like, people, like, who would enter Bake Off, but it's almost, like, the master chef of that. Oh, so kind of people who might do, like, Bake Off professionals? No. Okay. The people who would do Bake Off, but they know much more. Ah. They will, like, know, like, all the different sponges and the different things, and, like, they clearly practice a lot at home. Is it a competition show? Professionals. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very much a competition show, and every week... They get a task and it's like, do something to do with light. And then they do something really cool and inventive. Mm -hmm. And then the bottom two have to do a Zumbo challenge, which is where he reveals one of his desserts. And it's like a plate spinning in midair, which contains five layers of sponge or whatever. Like, it's insane stuff. And they have to make that. Oh, God. It's really fun. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, I would like you to watch Catch-22. Yeah, I'd like to watch that. I've read the book. Um, so. I have read the book. And I think the TV show captures a lot of the essence of the book quite well. I really well. like the book, good. Okay. So, yeah. Um, then, film, I'm, I'm going to ask you to watch Mississippi Burning. Okay. I don't think I've heard of this. Um, it's very famous, and it's about civil rights. I don't really want to give anything away, but my history teacher at school gave me a copy of it. Okay. And um, it's just a classic. I'm, I'm surprised you haven't seen it. Really. Okay. It's like 1988 crime thriller, um, FBI agents assigned to investigate the disappearance of three civil rights workers, but then everyone hates them. Because the Ku Klux Klan are like in town that they're investigating and all this kind of stuff, so. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I have given you something not like that at all, but I think very much fits into the genre of the British working class are saved slash uplifted by the arts and all the gays. And this film is Fighting With My Family, uh, which stars our favourite, Florence Pugh, um, as someone who trains to become a WWE wrestler. And I watched this over Christmas with my parents. It's great fun. Yeah, I heard lots of good things about it. I, I highly, highly recommend it. 
Yay. So thank you for listening and also thank you to Grace and Will for suggesting this week's content. Yeah, props to you guys. Props to you guys. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Don't Make Me Watch. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Please Don't Make Me Watch. You can email us at Please Don't Make Me Watch at gmail.com. And then you can find us on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, all the usual podcast providers, Google Pay, yeah. that kind of stuff. And if you have any suggestions for us, please get in touch and we will see you. Like, there. rate, and subscribe. Like, rate, and subscribe. Woo! Bye. See you next time.